BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. More than two weeks after an oil pipeline rupture off the coast of Huntington Beach, and as cleanup efforts continue, federal authorities might be making progress investigating what caused the disaster. The Coast Guard says that back in January, a cargo vessel named the MSC Dannett might have caught its anchor on the underwater oil pipeline, dragging it more than 100 feet across the ocean floor. Now, it's still unknown whether the anchor strike might have weakened the pipeline, causing it to eventually rupture months later, or if something else struck the pipeline immediately before the spill. Federal investigators boarded the Swiss-owned Panamanian-registered vessel this weekend off the coast of Long Beach. It had just made a voyage across the Pacific from a Chinese port. In related news, the Huntington Beach City Council is scheduled to vote this week on whether to support a ban on offshore drilling. And Orange County congressional representatives are holding a hearing in Irvine this morning that's focused on the oil spill. Democrats Katie Porter and Alan Lowenthal are leading the House Natural Resources Committee hearing. Congresswoman Porter tells the California Report it's a chance for the community to get some answers. For lawmakers in Washington to know the correct policies and how to help families and businesses, we need to listen to them. And that's exactly what this field hearing is about. It's an opportunity to hear from experts about what happened, what the harms were to wildlife, to the restaurant and tourism industry and the fishing industry, and then to be able to take that knowledge with us back to Washington as we consider what the right policies are with regard to allowing offshore drilling to continue. Porter says representatives from Amplify Energy, the company that operated the rupture pipeline, will not be part of today's hearing. But she says she won't be afraid to call them to testify at a later date if they aren't cooperating with the oil spill investigation. In labor news, a strike involving tens of thousands of workers in California's film and television industry that was scheduled to begin today has been called off. That after the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, reached an agreement with a group representing producers over the weekend. The three-year deal is supposed to give workers better rest periods and meal breaks, increase pay for production people earning the least, and better compensation from streaming TV projects. 
race. Diversity and inclusion hiring initiatives are also supposed to be beefed up. IATSE President William Loeb called the deal a, quote, Hollywood ending, saying his union members had gone toe-to-toe with some of the richest and most powerful entertainment and tech companies in the world and won important concessions. The agreement must now be ratified by union members. L.A. Unified's COVID-19 vaccination mandate takes full effect today. As KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, unvaccinated employees aren't allowed on campus. Staff and teachers in L.A. need at least one COVID shot to get on campus and must be fully vaccinated by November 15th. About 95 percent of LAUSD teachers and administrators have met the deadline. It's unclear how many of the remainder have received medical or religious exemptions. The union representing staff, such as custodians and special education assistants, won't say how many of their members are vaccinated, but unvaccinated staff will be fired beginning November 1st. California's requirement that teachers be vaccinated or tested weekly went into effect on Friday. Unlike LAUSD, the state kept a testing option for people who didn't want the shots. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Let's turn to the environment. Lake Tahoe's water levels have dropped to a critical point where water is no longer feeding into the Truckee River, affecting salmon spawns this year. Researchers say that the lake's water level is usually replenished by melting snow over the summer. But this year, that just didn't happen as normal because of heat and dry conditions. The researchers say if Tahoe's water levels continue to fall, streams that usually flow into it could be blocked by silt and sandbars. Scientists say climate change is at the root of these problems. And another problem out in the wild. The California condor is under threat once again. The massive birds went extinct in the wild in the 1980s, but through breeding and conservation programs started to bounce back. Now, as we hear from KCBX's Benjamin Perper reporting from the Central Coast, deaths attributed to lead poisoning have been rising once again, threatening the survival of this endangered species. The California condor population is declining. In 2019, the U.S. Department of the Interior's California Condor Recovery Program counted 337 of the birds in the wild. In 2020's report, that number declined to 329. And for most of those deaths, the culprit is lead toxicosis, which the birds get when they scavenge for dead animals that have been shot with lead bullets. Lead poisoning still remains the greatest threat to self-sustainability in California condors. That's Mike Stake, a wildlife biologist with the Ventana Wildlife Society, an organization heavily involved in condor conservation and outreach to hunters to stop using lead bullets. Ventana has been documenting deaths in the Central California flock. So far this year, they've confirmed 13 deaths among Central California condors, nine of which were determined to be lead poisoning. 
we intensively monitor and manage this species. And so we're monitoring birds with radio telemetry. We're monitoring them with satellite GPS. And so we're able to recover birds once they die. And more often than not, that cause of death has been lead toxicosis. According to the Department of the Interior, from 1992 through 2020, there were 107 deaths from lead poisoning in the free-flying population. That means lead poisoning is responsible for 50% of condor deaths with a known cause in that time period. What we have is a law, but the mechanism to follow the law right now is broken. Stake says the state tried to address this by banning the use of lead ammunition in hunting, which took full effect in 2019. But the law does permit the sale and purchase of lead ammunition because it's still legal to use in target ranges where wildlife is not the target. And pandemic-related shortages of copper in 2020 made it harder to get copper bullets, the main alternative to lead bullets. Stake says that may mean more people are using lead bullets in California, which would explain the uptick in condor deaths. You can easily buy lead. And it's not that easy to buy copper ammunition at the moment. So that availability, I think, is influencing a lot of people to say, well, I can't get the copper ammunition. What am I going to use? Well, I have this stock that I've invested in at home of lead ammunition. Why don't I just use that up on my private property? Chad Thomas is the non-lead outreach coordinator at the Institute for Wildlife Studies. He's also a hunter himself and says the switch to non-lead has been an adjustment from decades-old practices. For example, my grandfather used a particular bullet. My father used that bullet, then I used that bullet. So we put a lot of faith in tools that have a long history of being effective and gotten proficient with that. So when we're told that we have to change a particular tool in our toolbox, it makes us apprehensive. But as the non-lead liaison for hunters, Thomas says it's important to make that change anyway. He says hunters and ranchers need to be educated about what lead bullets are doing to this critically endangered species. So it's important that we, as a community, go and talk with them and encourage them to use non-lead and engage with them in a, a manner and a setting that they feel comfortable with and they can have, ask questions with, and we can relay that information in terms that they can understand. Ventana Wildlife Society gives out free non-lead ammunition to hunters and ranchers across the state. Their website is ventanaws.org. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in San Luis Obispo. Last year, Governor Gavin Newsom sent nearly $850 million to cities and counties to buy empty motels and other properties to convert them into homeless housing. Now he wants to spend over $2.5 billion more on the same effort. It's an initiative called Home Key. These converted properties are filling a critical gap for the unhoused. They're providing more stability than a traditional shelter, but most aren't permanent places to stay just yet. I teamed up with reporter Anna Scott of partner station KCRW in Santa Monica to find out more. We bring you this close-up on one resident at the Willow Tree Inn home key site in Compton. When you walk into the Willow Tree, it still looks a lot like a motel with a check-in desk and everything. Hi. Hi, Omar. Here we meet up with Omar Molina. He's 55 years old and he moved into this room in May. It's like an all-in-one. It's my, I have my bed here, I have a microwave, I have a flat screen TV. With and Omar's proud of his place, though he doesn't like the dark gray color of one wall near his bed. 
wish I could paint the walls, one of the walls, but it's okay, I'm grateful. He can't paint the walls because he's only staying here temporarily. Like most home key sites in LA, this motel isn't serving as permanent housing, at least not yet. That's because it doesn't meet all the codes and requirements for long-term housing. For example, it needs to be made more accessible to people with disabilities. So the county opened the building as temporary housing for now until those renovations can be done. But still, Omar says he feels a lot more stable here than he did in a shelter he stayed at in the past. There's always distractions here. It's more, it's quieter. It's more, I'm more at peace. I can relax. I can take a deep breath and I can exhale. I can say, oof, that was trying or, or something like that. And it still has the, like, so we have security here and keeps me safe. Immediately before coming here, Omar stayed in a tent on a parking lot in the San Fernando Valley. It was scary. It was scary. I felt lost. I felt confused. I, I embarrassed. And there was embarrassment. And, and there were fears, a lot of fears. Most of the referrals have actually been people who are, have been on the streets. They're coming right from the streets. That's John Masseri, the head of the nonprofit The People Concern, which operates this motel. You know, people are m- much more likely to want to come indoors if they have a space where they can, you know, close the door, they have their own bathroom, they have their own sleeping area. You know, people who lived on the streets want the same thing that all of us want, right? They want privacy, they want dignity, they want some sense of control over their life. In the meantime, though, Omar is searching for a permanent apartment elsewhere. Recently, he turned one down in Van Nuys. He felt that the location was just too isolated. He says he sees where he is now in Homekey as a huge opportunity that he's grateful for. He doesn't want to blow it by moving on too soon or going someplace that's not a healthy fit for him. Well, for me, being here, it means a, a, a place of starting over, getting another chance, getting to fix myself, if you will, or heal myself, you know, it's given me a place to to regroup, to rebuild my foundation, and to just basically help myself be able to help somebody else eventually. That's my goal. The state recently started taking applications for a second round of home key funding, and Los Angeles City and County, along with many other local governments in California, are expected to acquire more properties using those funds. And finally, this morning, we say goodbye to Tom Moray, a Californian who changed surf culture by inventing the modern-day bodyboard, or what he called the boogie board. Moray died last week at the age of 86 in Orange County. There's something really rolling around the USA. The Moray boogie bodyboard is here to stay. While in Hawaii in the summer of 1971, Moray, an engineer trained at USC and inspired by native Hawaiian bodyboards, took a big hunk of polyethylene packing foam, cut it in half, reshaped it a bit, and voila, the first boogie board was born. Moray quickly started manufacturing thousands of the inexpensive and durable boards in Carlsbad in North San Diego County. In a 1985 interview, Moray said he was proud of creating something that got more people into the water and did it intimidate non-surfers. So this is something that a grandma, grandpa can take and fill around in the water or they can put their little kid on. It's like a ballpoint pen. It's the same thing for everybody, whether you're a Picasso or just a scribbler. Again, that's Tom Moray, the inventor of the boogie board, who died last week. By the way, Moray dubbed his invention the boogie board because of his love of jazz. 
And that is the California Report for today, Monday, October 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation. Committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.